if you turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 9, I want to share a bit of a funny story with you. Okay, so this story is going to be really relevant. You're going to relate to this if you're a parent. Because uh, you'll get it as soon as as soon as you see what this story, uh, kind of some of the nuance of this story, you'll go, oh yeah, I relate to that as a parent. Now on the flip side, maybe you're not a parent, but you've been a teenager, you'll relate to this as well. Uh, so uh, if you've ever been around teenagers, you'll you'll get this. This is a bit of a funny story, super relatable, and it ends with a really good teaching moment. So in in Mark chapter nine, the disciples are hanging out. Uh, in verse 33, we'll jump in to where this story picks up. It says, they entered this, they, there is Jesus and the disciples. You know, they kind of had this like traveling thing going on. And it says, they entered a place called Capernaum. And when they had come into the house, Jesus asked the disciples, he asked them, Jesus looks at the disciples and he asks them this question that every parent has asked their teenagers, every teacher has asked their students, this question. What were you arguing about during the journey? <laughs> they didn't respond. Since on the way, they had been debating with each other who was the greatest. <laughs> this, this is the moment. This is how this plays out in my mind's eye. They're, they're murmuring, and Jesus is sort of just like walking up ahead of the group, and they're kind of like murmuring and arguing amongst themselves, and they're thinking they've fallen far enough back behind Jesus that he doesn't know, but they forgot that he's like God. And so, uh, so, so he, they get to the house in Capernaum. He sits down and just almost, I wonder almost like if he was smirking as he asks this question, right? Hey, what were you guys arguing about on the road? Right? And then, and then one of them just be like, nothing. We weren't arguing about anything. Right? And Jesus just kind of like lifts an eyebrow. You know, and one of them goes, We were arguing about who was going to be the greatest. I'm sorry, what? What was, I didn't catch that. Could you say that one more time, Peter? And we were arguing about who was going to be the greatest. Uh, clear your throat a little bit. Say that for me one more time. Uh, Jesus, we were arguing about which one of us was going to be the greatest. Right? And then, and then John, who calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loved, is probably sitting over there like, it's definitely me. <laughs> right? It's definitely me. I know we throw shade at Peter a lot, but I think in this instance it was John. <laughs> see, this, this moment is like this, right? It's like the moments when I would say something to my brother about my mom under my breath, and my mom would turn around and go, excuse me? Right? And I, I thought that maybe she wasn't as good at hearing as she turned out to be, and I got in some trouble. Well, the good news is Jesus is a great teacher, and he turns this moment into a teaching moment. So we'll pick it up in verse 35. This is how he turns it into a teaching moment. He sits down, he calls all of the 12, and he says, hey, all right, guys, pay attention, boys. Here's the lesson. Whoever wants to be first must be least of all, and the servant of all, right? Just for, just, let's just throw this out here for a quick second. Uh, the word all there means exactly what you think it means. It means all, everybody, right? So you want to be the greatest? You have to serve everyone, all of the people. Well, what about the people I don't like? Well, that's covered in the word all, right? 
Here's, here's the thing. Jesus comes and very often flips upside down the perspective of the way we think the world works. Jesus comes in and he says, you want to be the best? You have to be the last. You want to win this race? Lose it according to the world's standards. This is the way Jesus actually teaches us that winning in God's kingdom looks like losing to the world. The common desire to be great, by the way, is common desire. This is a common desire to be great. But here's what that desire does for us. It gives us, the, it gives us a dream of a world where other people come and serve our needs or our wants or our desires. And Jesus teaches us that greatness is actually found in being the servant of who? All, Right? So for the last several weeks, we've been in a series that we are calling Rule Your Life. We have been studying what it would look like to build a rule of life for ourselves. A rule of life, by the way, is a framework for living in the way of Jesus. And what you add into your rule of life or what makes up your rule of life are these things called spiritual disciplines or habits or spiritual practices. Now, all that is, is a practice or a habit that molds you more into the image of Jesus, which is what we are ultimately supposed to be doing, right? Living, learning to live more and more like Jesus would if he were living our life. So we're talking about these spiritual disciplines, and each of these disciplines builds up your rule of life. Last week, for example, we studied the discipline of submission, and today we are going to study a sister discipline to submission, inspired by Jesus's response in the middle of their debate on who is going to be the greatest. Today we're giving our focus to the spiritual discipline called service. Now, we use the word service on Sunday mornings. You've come to a church service. Uh, Let's just set that word aside for a moment. We're not talking about our Sunday gatherings. We're talking about something a little bit different. We're talking about the practice of serving as a spiritual discipline. So first question of the day, why would we study the spiritual discipline of service? Well, the answer is because we're still having the debate that Jesus called his disciples out on. Right? It rages in the world around us, and it rages in our own hearts. God, I think I'm secretly the greatest, and some of us not so secretly think that. Right? I, I think I'm the greatest. No, I'm the greatest. Right? It would be important if maybe there was a lot of these disciplines that turns out to be antidotes to our sickness that we have in our own heart. And as we think that we're the greatest, spiritual discipline of service helps us to find a cure or healing in the place where we have a broken perspective of our own self-worth. Now, I want to clarify that to say you are worth a great, incredible amount, so much so that God himself sent his son to die for you. He absolutely loves you and thinks the world of you. But that should actually humble you rather than lead you into a debate about whether or not you're the greatest. So Jesus actually teaches us that the pursuit of being served is how we lose the kingdom of God. And the discipline of service pushes on our pride and, and that, that thinks that other people should serve us. And it empowers us rather than looking just to be blessed, to look to see how we can be a blessing to other people. 
So today, what I'd like to do is offer you an overview. If, if we would just look through scripture at some places where we can see the discipline of service encouraged and championed in scripture, then, then we're going to do something together so that after we've seen how the discipline of service shows up in scripture, we can reflect on how the discipline of service shows up or could show up in our own lives. So my hope really today is simple. I hope to convince you of a simple truth, that service as a spiritual discipline is neither a new idea, nor is it optional for the follower of Jesus. Right? This would be the moment where you look at your neighbor and you say something like this. Look at your neighbor and say, you've got to do this one. You have to do this. And you have to do it every day. You've got to do this one. That's not to imply that you didn't also need to submit when we talked about submission or that you don't have to figure out fasting or uh, prayer or study, but this one is like every single day kind of a discipline. So let's, let's look at the Council of Scripture and look at some places where we can see the discipline of service being prescribed for us as a people with this greatness sickness that we've got in our hearts. So when God, all the way back at the very beginning, picked a a special group of people that he wanted to bless and call his chosen people, he did that through a specific person. In Genesis chapter 18, verse 18, God makes his intentions very clear when he says, Abraham is to become a great and powerful nation. And all the nations of the earth will bow down and bring all of their riches to Abraham, and he will be the wealthiest person and the most blessed guy. Oh, sorry. I was, it's American gospel. Let's read the Bible. Um, It says, all the nations of the earth will be blessed through him, through the one who is called the father of many nations. This is, this is the, the intention of God, to bless in order to have his people be a blessing. Let's set a clear foundation. Relationship with God is absolutely a blessing. Would you agree? Being in relationship with God is a huge blessing. But the blessing of our spirituality is not meant to dead end with us. It's supposed to flow through us to other people. So in, from the very beginning, this has been God's intention. Being a blessing is not a brand new idea that we just came up with, or, or it's not a New Testament idea that Jesus invented. This was from the very beginning. If I choose people, I'm going to bless them for a purpose, that they would bless other people around them. And then later on, the the prophet Isaiah writes about uh, another discipline, fasting. And I think you'll begin to see service in here, even linked to fasting. The point of taking a peek at Isaiah for a second is to tell you that service is tied to everything we do in relationship to God and other people. In Isaiah chapter 53, uh, the people of Isaiah, or the people of God are, are complaining. Isaiah writes it like this. They say, why have we fasted, but you have not seen? They're asking God this question. We have denied ourselves, but you haven't noticed. The the complaint that they're bringing is, God, we did spiritual disciplines. How come you didn't give us what we wanted yet? Who are they serving with their fasting? 
their self, right? And so, so this is their complaint. God responds, by the way, in Isaiah 58, uh, verse 3, it continues like this. Look, you do as you please on the day that you fast, and you will press all your workers. Ouch. You fast with contention and strife to strike viciously with your fist. You cannot fast as you do today, hoping to make your voice heard on high. You see, the people were practicing the, the spiritual discipline as a bartering system. Right? They actually thought that they could fast so that God would bless them. Like, I can force God's hand to pour out blessing on me if I behave in a certain kind of way. All the while, they're just abusing people while they are continuing in this discipline of fasting. So, so God continues. And I, I'm going to switch over to the message translation here because I like how Eugene Peterson uh, wrote this version of this passage. This is how God continues. This is the kind of fast day that I'm after. To break the chains of injustice, get rid of exploitation in the workplace, free the oppressed, cancel debts. What I'm interested in is seeing what I'm interested in seeing you do is sharing your food with the hungry, inviting the homeless poor into your homes, putting clothes on the shivering ill-clad, being available to your own families. Do this and the lights will turn on. And your lives will turn around at once. Your righteousness will pave your way. The God of glory will secure your passage. Then when you pray, God will answer. You'll call out for help and I'll say, here I am. Now, did you catch the lesson in this? Even when you're practicing a discipline like fasting, you should always be practicing the discipline of service. Your fasting is not so that God will bless you more. Your fasting is so that God's blessing will pour out on the world. Now, you might be a benefactor of God's blessing, but the ultimate desire of, of our even fasting is, God, would you move so that the world will see your goodness and your faithfulness? Rather than, God, will you see what a religiously righteous, good person I am at practicing my faith so that you'll do what I want you to do. That's, I mean, you're trying to manipulate the God of the universe. That's dangerous. All right, so let's move into the New Testament. Jesus reaffirms all of this idea of the, the, the necessity of having a heart of service when somebody comes up to him one day and asks him, teacher, which is the greatest of all the commands? In Matthew chapter 22, Jesus says to him, here's his answer, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. Jesus probably could have finished right there, but he says the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, what did the guy ask him? What's the greatest command, singular? And Jesus answered with two commands that are married. Love God with all of yourself and love your neighbor as if you were loving yourself. Take all of that desire to be the greatest. Take all of that desire you have to have other people meet your needs. Take all of that desire you have to come into first place in the world and in the kingdom. Take all of that and project that out towards other people and the way you want to be loved, 
Love other people like that. And he, he says, this is as important as it is to love God himself. This is radical thinking. Love God with all of yourself and love your neighbor as yourself. So our lives must be geared towards loving God. And our love for God is demonstrated by how we love or serve other people, our neighbor. And by the way, when Jesus talked about loving your neighbor, he wasn't just talking about the person who's sitting next to you or the person who lives next to you or the person in the cubicle or office next to you. He's talking about your fellow human beings. He's talking about Everybody. What did, what did Jesus say to his disciples? If you want to come in first place, who do you need to be the servant of? Your neighbor. All people, right? If you want to be first, serve everybody. Adele Calhoun writes that the Christian discipline of service is the way the world discovers the love of God. She goes on by saying, we are the way God blesses the earth. God creates relationship with mankind. He picks a special group of people. He starts with Abraham, says Abraham is going to be the father of many nations. And through him, all the nations of the world will be blessed. And how does God do the blessing? By our act of serving. The spiritual, uh, the, the spiritual discipline of service is, is not just a good antidote for our desire to come in first place. It is that. But it's also one of the most direct ways that we partner with God's intention to bless the world. If you, if you want to see the church grow, serve. If you want to see the kingdom grow, serve. If you want to see people meet Jesus, serve. Like Adele Calhoun says, the Christian discipline of service is the way the world discovers the love of God. Think about this for a second. Has God blessed you? Just, I mean, like, take a deep breath. Has God blessed you? Yeah, you just breathe. You're alive. He blessed you. You woke up today. You're blessed. You have been gifted another day to live. You know that Paul actually writes, the Apostle Paul writes about how we've been given spiritual gifts by God. So we have spiritual gifts to see incredible signs and wonders and miracles. And we have gifts of life and gifts of relationship with God. We have the gift of his love and grace and mercy poured out onto us. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, the Apostle Paul says, A spiritual gift is given to each of us for this purpose, so that we can help each other. So we can help each other. The purpose of the gift is the discipline of service. The discipline of service. So, so what do you do? How do I engage the discipline of service? You take stock of what you have, physical and spiritual, and you give it away to somebody else. You are a blessing with the ways that you have been blessed. Ultimately, here's what we know. Every gift that God has given to bless us is meant to bless, be a, a, a blessing to us and through us, Right? I mean, we say that a lot here at the church because I, I think that God wants us to understand that God doesn't give you anything that is supposed to stop with you. 
Even your testimony, it's not supposed to stop with you. God didn't do that miracle in your life so you could keep it to yourself. God didn't save your soul so that you could keep that to yourself. God didn't give you whatever blessing you have, all of the the physical blessings, the resources, the, the money that you have, the house that you get to live in, the relationships that you have, the friends and community that you enjoy. He didn't give you any of that just so that you can sit back and go, man, I'm just so stinking blessed. You should say, man, I'm just so stinking blessed. And then how can I be a blessing with all the ways that God has blessed me? And when it comes to your spiritual gifts, some of us have been given the spiritual gift of faith. Some of us have been given the spiritual gift of miracles. Some of us, the spiritual gift of prophecy and so on. You can read 1 Corinthians chapter 12 to read all of the spiritual gifts. Go read Romans chapter 12 to read about more gifts that God has poured out on you. And what does Paul say? These gifts were given to you so that you can help each other, serve one another. This is a a pretty important spiritual gift, it turns out. In fact, it's so important, God takes it seriously. He takes it so seriously that when we fail to engage the spiritual discipline of service, God seems to take it personally. In the days leading up to Jesus' death, we call this Holy Week. Jesus comes into the holy city of Jerusalem We call that moment the triumphal entry. And the Gospel of Mark has Jesus showing up in the temple right after he comes into the holy city. In Mark 11, here's what happens. They came to Jerusalem. He went into the temple, and he began to throw out those buying and selling. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves and would not permit anyone to carry goods through the temple. And he was teaching them, is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of thieves. Now, for the record, I read that very calmly. This was not a calm moment by any stretch of the imagination. Have you ever seen someone flip a table? You ever played Monopoly? (laughs) Like, table flipping is not a calm experience, right? If it is, it's it's just for comical purposes. You ever seen somebody flip it, like get so angry that they're going to flip a table? It's interesting that this is a wildly powerful teaching moment and not a sign that Jesus needed therapy. Like if you're flipping tables, you probably need to see a life coach. But but Jesus comes in and this is not a calm moment. Now, just for context, what was happening in this moment is that there there were people who were coming in to make sacrifices to God under the old covenant, and in order to do that, some people were traveling to Jerusalem for miles and miles away. Like for some of these people, it was taking them weeks and weeks to travel to the holy city. And when they got there, they didn't have the resources with them, like the animals with them, to make the sacrifices for the sins that they had committed in that year, because under the old covenant, they had to come regularly and make these sacrifices. And so they would come and they would 
they would want to make these sacrifices. Maybe they were going to purchase uh, uh, some, some birds or, uh, or a sheep to make these sacrifices. And, and there was a whole system for what they were supposed to sacrifice. And so you had to make a purchase. If you didn't bring the animal with you, you had to purchase one. And so you could purchase one at the temple. And this was originally designed to be a system that was going to bless the people so that they could travel for miles and miles and miles and weeks and weeks and come to the temple and make their purchase and then make their sacrifice and go home being cleansed and atone, having their sins atoned for for a period of time. Which is a whole system. Study the Old Testament. We'll talk about it some other time. What was happening, though, was that these, these people in the temple, the, the, the money changers, would do exchange rates at exorbitant amounts. And so they were charging uh, the, these people this incredible amount of money just to do the exchange rate so that they could then purchase the, the sacrificial elements. And then the, the prices on the, the actual elements were wildly expensive. And so they're making bank off of these people who are coming in just trying to worship God. The, the people of God. Yeah, Paul, you're right. I heard that. I heard that's a good word. Paul looks over at his wife and goes, that's like Disneyland. <laughs> yeah, all I want is a pretzel. Why is that $25? This is supposed to be the happiest place on earth. It's a great illustration. <laughs> God's intention for the people was to come and worship in this place, to come and be cleansed in this place. And, and the leaders in this environment were making it wildly difficult. They were using their religion to be blessed instead of making space to be a blessing. Now, that's bad in its own right. That's frustrating at Disneyland, Paul. That's infuriating when it's the temple of the Most High God. Jesus, God himself, comes walking in and is livid because all he sees is people using their religion to put a heavy burden on people. He says, not in my house. So he doesn't walk in and say, excuse me, do you think you could lower the prices a little bit? This just seems kind of unloving that you're doing this. Do you think you could... Just, just no, just pray about it. Just pray. Just think about it. Just a suggestion. <laughs> he comes in and he goes, Dad, can you believe this? Flips the table. He drives the people out, says, You will not buy and sell here. This is supposed to be a place of worship. You've made it into a market. You're putting heavy burdens on people. You've completely lost the plot. In God's house, of all places. Just for New Testament context, what Jesus does next is he dies, he fulfills the Old Testament covenant, he is resurrected from the dead, he establishes a New Testament covenant. The veil is torn in the curtain, keeping the, the presence of God uh, inside the Holy of Holies in the temple. It's torn from top to bottom, which is a signifier that God himself tore the, the curtain and he flooded the earth with his presence. And one of the signs that he has flooded the earth is that salvation is now a 
available to all people, Jews and Gentiles alike. And the Holy Spirit of God is sent by the resurrected Jesus who sits at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for the saints. That's you and me every single day praying for us. He, the Holy Spirit is sent by that Jesus to fill us with the baptism of fire and power so that we can be filled with the presence of God. And Paul the Apostle says that you were bought at a price, so you are now the temple of the Most High God. Imagine how, that's good news. But that same temple where Jesus comes in and flips the tables because service is happening wrong is now your heart. How's your service? I walked all the way up here while I was saying all that. I'm going to go back and just give you a second to think about that. The spiritual discipline of service fights against the pull of our flesh to be made comfortable, to be satisfied by other people, to use other people to bless our lives. The, the, the discipline of service is a, is a sacrificial discipline. It r reminds me I'm not worried about coming in first place in the world. I don't care what place I come in. I just want to make it in to the kingdom of heaven. I just want to make it in. And Jesus says, well, one of the things the kind of people that make it into my kingdom do is they serve. They serve. And in case you're feeling wildly stressed out right now, it's good. The good news is, is that serving takes no special training. It doesn't take any special training. In fact, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said this once, everybody can be great because everybody can serve. You don't have to have a college degree to serve. You don't have to make your subject and verb agree to serve. You only need a heart full of grace, a soul generated by love. You see, friends, serving is the natural result of a life that has been regenerated by the love and grace of God. It's natural. Serving comes naturally to us. Why? Because we know how much Jesus did to bless our lives, to make us the temple of the Most High God. Whew. Let's, let's dig just a little bit further. Because this, this is actually really, really practical. So everyone can do it. And it's not as hard as you might think that it is. Jesus helps us understand. I'm talking about who makes it into the kingdom of heaven and who isn't going to make it into the kingdom of heaven. In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus is making this teaching very, very clear for us. And he says, when the Son of Man returns, when, when God returns, Jesus... He's going to separate all of the sheep, the righteous people, from the goats, the unrighteous people. Sheep over here, goats over here, that kind of thing, separated out. And he's going to say something specific to each group. And to the sheep, he says this in Matthew chapter 25, starting in verse 35. He says, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. 
Then the righteous, the sheep, the righteous ones, will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in or without clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer to them and say, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And then for the goats, the unrighteous people, he literally says the exact opposite. And they say, when did we, when did we not clothe you? When did we not visit you in prison? We don't get it. And he says, whenever you didn't do it for the least of these, you did it not unto me. I take it personally, God says. See, the point here is that not only that service is expected, but that the discipline of service is wildly practical. Serving God looks like seeing a need and finding a way to meet a need. And in fact, the discipline of service leads us to ask questions like this. If God were to meet that need that I see, what would he do? Followed up by the question, if, if God were to use me to meet that need, what would I do? Or if, if you're feeling a little bit unprepared, you can ask, if I can't meet that need, who can I partner with to meet that need? I think at no point does the discipline of service say, that need probably doesn't need to be met. Or my needs are more important than somebody else. Right? Again, the discipline of service, not a new idea for the followers of Jesus. It's not an option. Can I give you some good news before we land the plane here today? You're already doing it. You're already practicing the discipline of service. Now, for some of you, that might, in about 30 seconds, not be good news. But for, for a lot of times, I, I think it is good news. See, the, the, the question is, like most other disciplines, the question is not, are you practicing the discipline of service? The question is, whom do you serve? You're already serving somebody. Who are you serving? Everything about your life is designed to serve either yourself or God and other people. And remember what God said the greatest commandment is? The greatest command is love God with all of yourself and love your neighbor as if you were loving yourself. He marries those two together. So there really are only two options. You're either serving yourself or you're serving God and other people. There are really only two options. How do you serve God? Well, friends, you serve other people. Let's, let's talk just for a moment about serving yourself. Just for a second, I just want to clarify one thing. Serving yourself is not inherently always bad. In the same way that money is not inherently bad, but loving money is bad, right? Serving yourself isn't every single moment inherently bad. Let me give you an example. Rest is a great example of serving yourself because it rejuvenates your soul and your body. Education, or as Kristen taught us a few weeks ago, the spiritual discipline of study is a fantastic example of strengthening your own mind. That is inherently self-serving, but not bad. Now, if all you ever do is study so that you can be the smartest dude in the room, well, now we've taken that too far and it's become a problem. Not inherently bad, but can be problematic if this is where you stop, right? 
So I would say, even your service of yourself should always equip you to serve God and others better or more. And for those of us who get very religious about this and we would say, well, are you saying that God only saved me so that I would serve other people? To which I would respond, oh, so the God who died for you to experience salvation doesn't get to tell you what to do with your life? Okay. Cool. Yeah, gotcha, didn't I? <laughs> but friends, serving yourself, not inherently bad. Where does it become dangerous? When that's all that you do. So what's a better way? We would project service outwards towards God and toward other people. Remember what Jesus taught, serving others is serving God. So practically speaking, making dinner for sick friends is serving God. Volunteering in life kids is serving God. Leading a Bible study is serving God. Listening to a friend who is going through a difficult season is serving God. Every relationship that you have presents you with a golden opportunity to serve God himself. Paul told us how to do this in Philippians chapter 2. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look not to his own interests, but rather to the interest of others. Remember, we talked about this last week when we said the discipline of submission to others around us in a community of people who are mutually submitted to one another. What does that look like? It looks like the discipline of service so that all of our needs can be met. This is one of the great functions of the, the signs of health of the early church. Okay, so I could, I could keep going. I could dig in a whole other chunk of time. We could do a whole other sermon just on more points about the discipline of service, but I think that you get it, so let's make this really, really practical. We want to spend the rest of the time that we have together today answering this question. How am I serving? How am I doing with my service? So, what we're going to do next together is something that I might refer to as a service self-check, just a, a check-in, a reflection. On the back of the seats today uh, in the pocket, we put a half sheet of paper. And in, on that half sheet of paper, is it just says, uh, it says this at the top. We want to invite you to write things that you've done or purchased for the person at the top of each of these columns, myself, others, and God, in the past month. Now, for the next moment, I'm going to actually invite you to do this. And then there's another step, and, and then we'll pray together. This is how we're going to end our time together today. Now, you might be sitting there going, I don't have a pen. I don't know how to write anymore because I type everything with my thumbs. That's fine. You can write this on your phone with your thumbs. You would just make a bullet, a, a bullet list, myself, others, and God. And here's what you want to do. Over the next few moments, think about the month of October. And in the month of October, you don't have to go through every single day, but just let some of the, some of the things kind of jump out at you. What are the things that you did in the month of October that served yourself? For some of us, this might be an act of confession before the Lord. Although I would say that maybe you can put an asterisk next to some of the things that you did for yourself that actually turned out to be positive. Like maybe you have practiced Sabbath, and while that is a discipline that honors the Lord, it also is a blessing to you as well. And so think through, what are the things that you did this month to serve myself? What are the things I did this month to serve 
others, and what are the things I did this month to serve God? Now, most of you have already begun to write. Um, you can take another moment, and you can think through. Just don't, don't overthink this, by the way. Just a couple of things that come to mind in each category. Again, it might be helpful to write down positive and negative expressions of service in each column. anybody's wondering, I'm not going to ask you to stand up and read this aloud. This is a good reflection for yourself. This is not a blog post. If you're stuck still on that first column or the second, move quickly towards the third column. I want to encourage you to make sure you get something written in every section, and then you're going to be able to take this with you as well, so you can continue to do this at home. Remember the ways that we serve other people are also ways that we serve God. My friend Chris, who plays on our worship team every Sunday, for the ways that he has served you, can write, I played on the worship team. He also can say, I served God with my worship this week. You're welcome, Chris, in case you were struggling. Classroom. If I was teaching this at college, I would say, does anyone need more time? And then someone would go, they need more time. So I'll give you another moment. Paul put his hand up on your behalf. So. right there in your writing. Like I said, you can take this home, you can continue to do this reflection, but this is not meant to be an exhaustive breakdown of every single thing that you did over the entire month. It's just to lead you to this place. And then there's one more thing we're gonna do together before we pray. 
And, and I, I want you to take a second and look at what you wrote. Or, or maybe even as you're thinking through, what would I have written if I were to keep on going? That sort of question. Here, here's the next thing I want you to ask. How does, how does this balance out? How does my service engagement balance? Over the course of a month, do I find that my life is geared more naturally towards serving myself? Is my service geared more naturally towards serving God by coming to church, and then I don't really take care of myself, I, or, or I don't really think about other people, I just come to church, and then I, and then I leave, and, uh, or I'm really, really, really serving other people, and I'm coming to church kind of sporadically, and I'm certainly not serving in the context of my local congregation, and uh, maybe, maybe there's all kinds of different ways that you could think about this. None of this is meant to elicit guilt or shame in anybody's heart. Uh, because remember, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's Romans chapter 8, verse 1. But we do want to evaluate so that we can grow. So the next question is this, and then I have one more thing I want you to do. The next question is this. How do you think God might respond to what you wrote? The goal would be that he would respond, well done, my good and faithful servant. Good job. You are serving well. But how do you think he might actually respond? Might he kind of point at an area and go, we could really work more in this area? It feels like maybe we could serve others more. Or, man, I really wish you would serve me a little bit more consistently compared to how much you serve yourself. I know that when I do a check like this, that is almost always the thing I hear the Lord say. Tim, you're so good at serving you. And he says it like it sounds like it's supposed to be a compliment, but I know that it's not. Yeah. Take your paper and turn it over on the back. And just for the next one minute, on the back of your piece of paper, I want to invite you now to just make a list. It could be as sporadic as you want, bullet points, make, write a sentence, whatever you got to do. But over the month of November. October's done, guys. Over the month of November, write down some things that you aspire to do that would be acts of service to the Lord and to other people. Just over the next month. What do you want to do over the next month? Now, as you are writing, I want to make a specific note here that service does not need to cost you money, although it can. But it would be good that you make sure that the list of things that you write as the discipline of service that you want to engage in over the next month are realistic for your actual schedule and your actual budget, right? Like if you work minimum wage at two different jobs and you have no PTO, you probably don't want to write, buy a car for my friend who lives in New York and drive it to their house. You don't have time or the, bu or the budget for that, right? So make these realistic. I think I've now said, this will be the third time I've said this, but just as a hint, serving in life, kids, is a great way to serve the Lord. We serve a meal at Grace Resource Center once a month. We serve a hot meal to people in need.
Sharon led us in a, an act of service earlier this morning when she said to turn to a person with their hand up who said they had a need and just pray with them. So one thing that you could write is, as an act of service, when I see someone who has a need, I'll just say, can I pray for you right now? And then I want to give you a, a charge and a blessing, and we're going to wrap up our time together today. But I, I just want to make one final note, a pastoral comment. If you're listening to this and you find yourself being the person who is in great need, and this sort of thing is hard for you because you feel like you are drowning in need, and so to say, now go serve, feels difficult or painful to, for you to hear, we hear that. There, there is no intention for you to, for us to say to you, um, if you don't meet a certain kind of standard of what service looks like, uh, then how dare you? What we want to say to you, if, if that's who you are today, we want to say to you, please let us know what your needs are. Please let us know how we can, number one, pray for you. And beyond even our prayer, how we can partner with you, how the whole church can partner with you so that your needs can be met, so that you can be blessed and you can be served as we serve. So I, I just wanted to say that to you so that you don't walk out of here going, I can't do the thing he was talking about today because I have so many needs. If that's you, again, come and let us know. Talk to us. Call the church office. Send an email even. Tim at avlife.church. Just send me an email and we'll, we'll talk. We'll figure something out together as a church family. Amen? Can I offer you a charge and, and, a, and a homework assignment and then I want to pray for you today a blessing. If I could... If I could offer you a simple homework assignment or, or, a, or a, a benediction, it would sound like this. This week, remember that you are blessed. And in any way that you can, be a blessing. That's it. It's as simple as that. You are blessed. Go and be a blessing. Let me pray this blessing over you as I wrap up our time in the name of Jesus, God, first and foremost, we say thank you for your blessings. Thank you for the blessing of your son, Jesus. Thank you for the blessing of relationship. Thank you for the blessing of life that we have in you and with you and through you. All of us, God, we lay ourselves down. All that we have, we give you ourselves as a sacrifice of worship and praise and service in your kingdom. And, and for my friends who pray that prayer with me today. May your hands be full and overflowing with blessings. May you have eyes to see how blessed you truly are, and may those eyes also see the needs around you. May your heart and the Spirit of God lead you to serve others from the overflow of God's blessing in your life. May you be so blessed, and may you be a blessing in the name of and to the honor of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.